trouble. It's going to get there. He turned 32 yesterday. Does he have a vintage moment in it? In the end zone, it is caught for the win! What's up, everybody, and welcome to Average Cheese. I'm Dale Lobel, alongside my co-host and longtime friend Todd Widener, and we are Average Cheese. We offer a unique perspective and entertaining conversation on what we love to talk about more than anything, the 13-time world champion Green Bay Packers. You can talk to us or find us on Twitter at AVGCheese, and you can also get a hold of us at email at AVGCheese at gmail.com. we got a great show planned for today with a lot to talk about, so sit back, crack a cold one, and join us. So welcome to episode three of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lobel. As I've said, this is Todd Widener. Uh, our show today is going to be a little different. I'm not going to talk at all in the first segment about football. Today we're going to talk about race in America and how, how things have evolved in the last three or four weeks. I feel like it's a topic that we'll try to bring back to football at some point. Um, but it's important. It's important for us to talk about. How are yeah, you today? Okay. You good? Good, man. How you been? Yeah. I am Got good. a new setup. Got my new setup and everything. Nice. Got my, my crazy headphones on, so I'm good to go. I'm, I'm official. Again, it's an audio podcast, but I am wearing my uh, average cheese shirt that we got from DDG Customs. Maybe I should plug those guys too. So thanks to Third Eye Graphics, Andy at thirdeyegraphics.net for sponsoring us and giving us our graphics. And then thanks to Dwight at DDG Customs. He can be found at ddgcustoms.com. He's also DDG Customs on Facebook and on Instagram. So if you're looking for custom shirts or custom shoes, please go see Dwight and then let him know that the average cheese sent you. So here we go. Topic one. Topic one, George Floyd and racism. If it's okay, I will start this one. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. So a little bit of background maybe about me. I have taught for 25 years at an urban school district. I have taught thousands of black kids. I've coached, I don't know, hundreds of black athletes. I have friends that I, I have black friends that I call brother and not brother in the African-American sense, but just brother. Uh, my friend Ben is a brother of mine. He is and has been there for me for 20 years. I don't say that because I'm trying to collect like black points or pretend that I don't have bias or racism. That's not it. I usually, when people do that, when you start hearing, oh, I have black friends, they're saying that because they're about to say, but there's always, there seems to be a, but, and there actually right. is one going to come yeah. from me too. So I've again taught all of these children, these black children and coach black athletes and have true black friends that I care much about. The reason I bring that up is when this whole George Floyd, uh, when, when all these things have happened, it made me realize that I, even though I've done things for the black community and, and people in it, I know that I haven't done enough. Right. And when I, when I say that, I mean, you know, as a white person, I realized that just sitting there and taking it or not saying anything was perpetuating a system this that whole problem. It, yeah. yes not outwardly saying something against it is saying it's okay right. so i mean i could tell stories for a long for i could do an hour probably just on the things that i now have reflected back on and saw that oh man i really wish i would have done more to do something to stop what was going on because that was that's what's right 
to do something when things are not going right is what we're supposed to do as people. And one of my many flaws in life is that I will look back and, and look at, look and reflect on what I've done wrong. It's, I mean, I guess it's, it's just something I do. Like I looked at what could I have done better? And one of those things is that in my life, I wish there were, I know there were times where I just sat there and let things happen and didn't do enough. And, and that, that bothers me now. I mean, it bothers me, bothered me then, but now I realize the extent of it. When black people, black men in, in most of the time are dying right. and black people are being oppressed and I have anything that I can do and I'm not doing, that's a problem. I agree. There, we, you know, we almost live in this kind of society where it's like, if it's not my problem, it's okay for me to look the other way. And, you know, when it's, when it's a topic um, as serious as this one, and it's affecting our African American population, you know, it's, it's time to put an end to that. And our obligation is to speak up about it now and try to do something about it. So we don't have to keep on the cycle that, that we seem to be in as a country. You know, exactly. And, and it's, it's people, right? We have to get past, and right now it is a black people issue. It's also a brown people issue, right? Like we're talking sure. about African-Americans, yep. but, but people of color, anyone who is not white faces this sort of thing, maybe not on the same level, but they face it. One of the of things, so on Twitter, like six months ago, maybe a year ago, I changed my Twitter part of my Twitter, that top, the part of the top, I don't even know what to call it, the bio or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, it's a quote from Dr. King or Martin Luther King Jr. And it says, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of good people. Well, there you go. And that was written in the sixties. Yeah. 50 years ago. And so here I have this in my bio and I still, it, it had to be the, it required the death of someone in such a tragic and just horrifying fashion to make me realize that. So maybe I was walking towards that. And this quote from Dr. King that I've had in my bio for however long is how I feel, but it's time to take those words to action. And I think that's the difference for me, at least as a person, that's the difference. I agree too. Is there's, there's a lot that's, that's kind of going along on right now. And, you know, when you mentioned um, Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, it's, you know, one of the things I think we can learn from this is, or take an example of is how children react with one another. If there's ever a demographic within our society that actually gets it right, it's our own children. You can take, and you can take as many children as you want and throw them into a room, all different races or whatever, and they don't see the they don't see color as an obstacle to building friendships, to getting along with one another, to sharing things with one another. They don't see any of this stuff. So if if we're looking for an example, um, that that is a true example of where we need to start to go with all of this. It's racism is it's taught. It's taught to our kids. They're not born this way. It's not in their DNA. It's taught to them. As adults, we need to start looking <laughs> for a true example of, of how this can actually happen. Go ahead and start looking at kids. 
Right. Like you said that very well, racism and bias are taught. They are Completely. not inherent. And that's, that's where, you know, and you know, the older generation, we excuse them, right? We excuse yep. them because that's the way it was, but it wasn't okay. And it's still not okay. And I think that we have to get past the, well, they're just what X and whatever yeah. it is. And that makes it, they've, what they've, no, none of it is okay. And it's such a systemic thing, right? Like we can only start to change it when white people believe it too, right? Yeah. Because white people are still the majority of the people in this country. And it has to be a change, not from just within the black community. It, it needs to be ch a change throughout our entire country. And I feel like that's happening though. Like I, this, this feels like change to me. It really does. There's definitely some momentum. It's just, we have to keep contributing to it. And one of the ways by having conversations like we are right now, I believe is, is making that contribution. Hopefully this will continue so that we can get some change. Speaking of conversations, I, um, I'll have to follow them with our average cheese podcast, Twitter, but if you don't follow Emmanuel Acho, you should. Emmanuel Acho played football for Texas. He he had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Uh, I don't. He didn't last real long in the NFL. He has um, something he's doing on Twitter called "Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man." I think and, I might have seen that. I mean, it's. I'm sure it's on Facebook. I'm sure it's on Instagram. It, it, Twitter is my main, you know, method of social media. So that's the the that's the one I will you know reference often. But if you haven't heard or listened to this guy, you should. And I'm saying that to all the folks that are listening to us as well. Follow him. Listen to this. Because it is, it is well, the first one was just Emmanuel Acho, like answering questions in general. He had a second one with Matthew McConaughey, who is uh, a UT grad, and that's how they came on. And I saw that he's going to have, um, what are the home developers, the home fixers, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines are going to be on the third oh, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I th it's great, first of all, and I haven't seen the third episode. I think they're taping it either tonight or tomorrow or something like that, but follow him. It's the man Acho, like at the man Acho is, is Emmanuel Acho. It, it is the conversations that we need to be having. And he's super, it's just great. I don't want to get too far into it. I'd rather people listen to it and me not, you know, just tell how great it is, but it's worth listening to. Absolutely. He talks about white privilege and, and, and Matthew McConaughey talks about white privilege and you know, the, the whole black lives matter thing really did get pushed under the, the rug, right? It was black lives matter. Yeah. But all lives matter. Yeah. Right. But blue lives matter. Yeah. But you know, put whatever, LD, yeah. whatever, put it all in there. But these lives matter too. Yes, we all matter. There's, we all matter. At the end of the day, we all matter. But you take care of the burning building before you take care of the one that is okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, oh, Black yeah. Lives Matter. I saw a comedian. His name is Matthew Che. Michael Che? Jesus. I should know. It's on Netflix. His last name is C-H-E. And this was like in 2016. He was like, we're just setting the bar at blacks, Black Lives Matter? Yeah. Not aren't important. We're just setting the bar at matter. 
right? That's a great point. And one of the things he said, which I thought was super funny, was this Michael Che. He said, imagine if, you know, your wife walked in and she said, hey, do you love me? And you said, I love all people. <laughs> Imagine how that shit would go. You'd you'd sleep on the yeah, couch for at yeah. least a night or two just by answering that. But but it's a good right. it's a good analogy. It is right. Yes, we matter, and but white lives have always mattered. In in the in the history of this country, the laws were written for white men or white people. At first, it was white men, right? Like all all lives still are, is in a lot of ways. Absolutely, but our constitution, all men are created <clears throat> equal wasn't true to begin with we definitely aren't following that at this no. point but but it was all but it meant all white men that could vote sure. and own property i mean it doesn't say that because yep. you can't put that doesn't sound right you can't fight for a revolution and just say it's only for these these white <laughs> dudes that own property right but white privilege is a thing it's always been a thing and and it's not something that we have to think oh i i am ashamed of that because you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about the color of your skin. You can't right. do anything about how people treat you. But we have to work on the other end, which is reducing the lack of black and brown privilege yeah. and making and it a, pl- a level playing field. We also have to understand, too, is that now that we have this momentum of change, a lot of people are changing. And... You know, if there's, you know, I'll tell a personal story for myself of, uh, of someone who's a white male who I have changed my perspective on um, a lot of things just for my own, uh, my own story is, um, you know, I'm a combat veteran. Um, I served in the Marine Corps when, when I, when I witnessed Kaepernick kneeling during the anthem, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be very blunt and honest. I was fucking pissed and I was completely, I felt disrespected. Um, I felt what he was doing was wrong and I just immediately reacted. Right. That's, that's where a lot of this kind of starts to go wrong is my reaction was just fuck this guy. I don't care what he has to say. (laughs) I don't care what you're, you're talking about my flag. You're talking about you're disrespecting me. The oath I took when I was in the military, the flag that I, I defended, right? And I was fucking fuming. You know, I stayed that way. I stayed in that mode up until probably about two weeks ago. You know, unfortunately, it took the death of, of uh, George Floyd to kind of bring all this back up again. I started to see all this stuff about Kaepernick again and, and the message that he was trying to convey and all this stuff. And I started to, the first step to all of this from a person who has done this is, you got to at least be open to it to take the first step because I was asking myself, I'm missing something here. I I must be missing something here. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of athletes speaking out. I see a lot of prominent leaders speaking out and supporting this. And I'm like, I, I, there's something I'm missing, man. And the more I tried to, the more I educated myself, the more conversations I started to um, listen to, the more I started to realize that what his message actually is and that it, it wasn't about disrespecting the flag. And I just started thinking to myself, fuck, I mean, that is white privilege in a nutshell. My right. rush to, my rush to judgment and you know, it, it offended me and my agenda. 
I didn't want to hear a fucking word he had to say. Um, but at the same time, right, if, if you really want to try to dissect this further, you have him, right, who's taking a knee during the anthem. He's out there during the anthem, but he's basically bringing attention to, hey, we got a fucking problem here. That's right. what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not disrespecting your flag. I'm not disrespecting the military. I'm not doing any of that shit. I'm just simply saying we got a fucking problem here. Right. And then you look at if, if if there's people are like, Oh, he's, he's taking a knee during the anthem and this and that. It's like, how many times are you at a sporting event and there's dozens of these of people with their fucking hat on. Right. So don't, or they're shoving their face full of nachos or they're texting on their phone or they're walking up and down the aisles or whatever. So where do we draw the line there? Right. You have all these other people. To me, that's super disrespectful. It's, it's to the point where I can't, I love going to a sporting event. The one thing I really love during a sporting event is the national anthem. It's, it's important to me as a veteran. It's very important to me. And then the very first thing that I do as soon as it starts is I look through the crowd and I see who's got their hat on and it drives me up the wall. I almost can't even stand there and take it. That's my spiel. That's where I stand. If more people would take an approach like I did, then we can start to kind of change the narrative of this whole thing. We can start to, to try to put this in, in a better perspective for us and our country will be better for it. Absolutely. You know, and one of the things that really got lost in the Colin Kaepernick kneeling thing was the first time he protested, yeah. he was sitting. Yes. During the anthem. Yep. And then he, I don't know what the, if he reached out to Nate Boyer or if it was, yeah. I don't know how the, that interaction went, but he it's talked funny. To it's funny you bring this up because that was the, the video clip that I watched that completely changed me was this Nate Boyer clip that you're about to talk about. Yeah, he, I mean, he, so Kalernick, Colin, Kalernick, Colin Kaepernick reached out to someone in the military because he absolutely didn't want to be disrespectful. He wanted yeah. to know what the most respectful way would be. And yep. this member of the military, I think Army Special Forces, I can't remember yeah. what he is. Yeah. Uh, but Nate Boyer said, we kneel. We kneel at the grave of fallen, fallen brothers. That's exactly right. So that's yeah. what he did. And that, that message, in fact, my friend, man, that I was talking about before, didn't know that until like three weeks ago. Right. Yeah. So, so it's been four years since that came out, yeah. since he started to kneel and people need to know that. And I, I think we're in a different age. I, I, we are, and I'm happy for it. Right. I'm here for it. You know, that uh, J.J. Watt was on Twitter and someone was like, I bet J.J. Watt won't kneel during the national anthem. And he didn't say it in these words, but he was like, the fuck I'm not. Right. He was like, right. don't speak for me. Those were his exact words. A, don't speak for me. And I don't remember what the rest of it was. But this, is, this has to be a, a vision of solidarity. It has to be, people have to be united in this. Yeah. And I think, and who better to do it than athletes? You know, like... You and I, like I have 250 followers or something like that. LeBron James has 4.6 million followers on Twitter and over 6 million followers on Instagram. Jesus. Who's better to influence the world than athletes? Yeah. 
I mean, no one, no one is, no one has a bigger play with the, the people of the world than athletes. And I think that they're going to, if they do this the way we, I hope they do and play this right. And again, play that right. It's not the way, right way to say it. But if, if we can get this out and athletes are out front, I think that's the best way to send the message. Yeah. They can completely transcend, hopefully, this generation. The, the question becomes too, and I wanted to ask your thoughts on this, but, um, you know, we've got all this momentum, right? All this momentum, there's conversations going on. There's some good, there's some good stuff going on right now, right? There's some actual meaningful change going on. Yeah. I'm one of them, right? The, the next, so what are your thoughts on, you know, like what happened? next what is the action now now we've got the momentum what do we do next to actually get this to where Con it needs to continue be? the momentum yeah of things, right how, how do we do it because that's you know over over our history we we constantly do this right, right. something happens we react everybody goes crazy and then it goes away it, and then it goes away right and then nobody talks about it and then something else happens and then we're just in this caught in this cycle right but it's like what do we do now? Now we've got the momentum. Let's not let go of it this time. Right. What do we do? And, and, you know, and I've looked on, on various media and, and Twitter and things, and it's like, we need more legislation. And I don't think sure. that's the answer. I mean, I... I no, you know, it's not. But Do we need an anti-lynching law in this fucking country? Holy fuck. Yes. <laughs> like, how can that even be debated? Right? Right. Yeah. I mean, shit like that. Yes, that needs to happen. I can only speak at least locally. Like we have, because of the Corona pandemic or whatever, we've had, we have money to spend in, in our schools that we didn't spend throughout the year because we weren't in school for the last third of the year. Right. And we are buying like classroom libraries that reflect a more multicultural world, a more diverse world. If you, I mean, your, your kids are in school, grab one of their reading books or something. It's yeah. all white kids. Yeah. It's 2020. Not all, but you know what I mean? Right. It, like, let's, let's have stories from authors who, who live different perspectives. We need, to re, we need to educate ourselves. I really think that's, I mean, as an educator, of course, that's my obvious answer, right? But we need to educate us, ourselves, and the people around us because a more educated populace on the things that have happened hopefully will take us down a road where we will continue. Yeah. Where, where we'll be less, you know, we'll be more united and less divided. And I think knowing the true history of it, I think especially for folks like you and me who are white, like history is written by the quote unquote winners. It's by, you know what I mean? It's by who right. won the battle. It's by who, what, but, but there's a, a history that we're not told. And I think, I think that's, the, I mean, that probably isn't the hundred percent answer, but I think that teaching people what things were like and how we want it to go is, is everything. I think too, is my thoughts on how, how do we, what do we do next would be there has to, we have to somehow get our communities integrated better, right? There's, there are clear divisions of cities, of neighborhoods, right? Absolutely. Where, you know, the, and maybe it's maybe the the platform is it starts in churches, it starts in community centers, where people can kind of come together, and actually have these conversations that we're having right now. 
Yeah. Hey, you know, you, we all meet in a place on, on Wednesday nights and we're just going to shoot the shit or whatever. Right. right? I mean, there was a, you know, and, and I think you remember the story, but it's, it's kind of related. Um, you know, I think we were in middle school and we were traveling to an inner city school to play basketball. You know, in the town that we grew up in, there were there's one no black, black kid. There's there, one that's black right. There was one one black kid in our yeah. high school. So we came from a very prominently white um, small town, and I remember traveling there on the bus and and arriving to this school, and it was just like all of us were just in, in shock, right? And that and and likewise, right? You see. All the black kids, you know, when we're walking through the hallways to the locker room, all the black kids, they're, they're as, as much in shock too. Right. Like, who the hell is this? And what are they doing here? <laughs> what, are, what, are, what exactly are they doing here? And dude, that was in the fucking 80s. That hasn't changed. No. That has not changed. That dynamic, that division of communities, that has not changed. And my thoughts are, there, there's probably a whole big roadmap of things that, that can be done in order to, to move forward. But that is one thing I feel as though could be done um, at the local level to try to start to unite the communities and, and try to have these conversations. I totally but, agree. I think churches need to get back involved. When you look sure. in the 60s, Dr. King was a preacher. You know what I mean? I, I was listening to a guy the other day who was saying, you know, before they would march, they would pray and they would talk about the guidelines of their protest. Like, this is what we're going to do today. And the, and the churches were out front. And now, like, you don't see, I don't see him anywhere. Where is the church? What, they're the, I believe that they should yeah. have a larger role. They're kind of sitting back and accepting. They have. Like, you they can't have. preach how to treat people, you know, on Sunday and then not do shit about it the rest of the week. Like, get out there. What the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? You, it's, it's hypocrisy at, at its it highest level. If, you can, if you're, you know, treat your fellow man, but then you, you're not going to say anything about this? Man, I, I don't know. It, it bothers me. We, we do need to have more conversations. You know, I live in Milwaukee. Milwaukee is one of the probably three most segregated cities in the United States. Very. It's usually very. Cleveland, us. And I don't, I don't, I haven't looked at the st uh, statistics lately, but I mean, we're up there. You go, there is a bridge that is in the valley, which is basically the north-south divide. It's like the Mason-Dixon line, you know, yeah. you oh, go north sure. of the bridge and it's, it's predominantly sure. black. You go south of the bridge, it's predominantly Mexican. Um, in the 60s, they called it the, the longest bridge in the world because it spanned from Africa to Mexico. I mean, that's, right. that's how it was stated. Right. And then the white people either live far east in Bayview or on the east side on the, you know, they live far east or far west. That, that's our city. And it's always yeah. been our city. My, my ex-wife doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can say this stuff. Uh, so my daughter does DoorDash where she picks up food from one oh, right. place to another. And she delivers to, it's interesting because the restaurants are here on this, on my side of town, on the south side of town. Yeah. Um, and she delivers predominantly to the north side of town. And I'm glad she's getting a chance to do that. I mean, my kids have grown up around black people because I own rental property. I've taught in the black community forever. I mean, they, they, I have black friends, right. all the things I just said before. My kids are involved in that. And I'm thankful for that 
because they don't that their implicit bias is not as large as yours or mine because their experiences are far different than yours or mine. Like, yeah, we didn't see black people. We saw black people on TV when the NBA came on or when the, on Sundays to watch Packer games. We, we didn't see right. black people. Never. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm thankful that my kids have grown up where they did. I, re- I really, yeah. You know, when George Floyd was, was killed, there was a few um, very peaceful protests here. People with signs up and stuff like that on the side of the road and I'm driving by with, with my son in the car. He's seven. You know, he's kind of looking out and you know, he can read and he's reading these signs and he's just like, dad, what's, what's racism. And I'm like, well, it's, uh, you know, people being, people being, uh, you know, judging others, uh, based on the color of their skin. And he's like, why? I'm like, you know, I, you just sit yeah. there with, with almost no answer. I'm just like, what do you, what do you tell them? You know, I'm just like, well, there's some people who are ignorant enough to do stuff like that. We're not, we, we are not those people. Right. You are not that person. So, it, but I found it very difficult position. Uh, you know, he just simply asked the question, why? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I wish a lot more people would understand that and that says everything right it really does like kids don't get it and until kids are taught it they don't get it the one thing though that that um i've learned in the last year or two is you also need to watch the way that our media portrays people and the way that they say things like the if you look at there's a bias in our media too and i I don't have any specific examples but it's also i don't want to call it covert and i don't know if they're doing it on purpose but there are times you're like you could read the same headline from two different places and it says totally different things so let's talk let's bring it back to the nfl and to to the packers a little bit the packers are in a very unique situation right now not not right now, but the Packers are a unique situation. The Packers are not owned by anybody. They are a publicly owned franchise. They don't have an owner that has to take the heat. The Packers yep. are able to do things. Like I, I know that the Packers will not sign Colin Kaepernick. They don't need Colin Kaepernick. They no. could take the hit, the media hit of taking, and I said this years ago, should we have signed Colin Kaepernick? Maybe. Because the Packers don't need season ticket holders. There was some oh. woman, some woman on Twitter who said, if the Packers kneel, I'm going to give up my season tickets. My reaction was, fuck yeah, lady. Yeah. You know, I've been on a season ticket waiting list for almost 20 years. <laughs> I, when we got ma- before my ex and I got married, so that's how long ago this was. Before my ex-wife and I got married in 2002, we got on the Packers season ticket waiting list. Right now, 2020, no, I don't know what it is this year, but the one I have from last year, I was 38,000th on the list. (laughs) After 17 or 18 years of waiting. And that's after two renovations where they added seats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, lady, go the fuck ahead. Yeah. But, but my point is the Packers can take the media hit. I don't think they'd have to now because I think that the public consensus is that we, we need to move in the right direction so the Packers won't take as big of a hit and the NFL or the NBA or the Major League Baseball will not take the hit if guys start kneeling. 
And I would be very, very surprised if they aren't all kneeling when the NFL season starts or a, a large majority of them are not kneeling. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, with this whole, um, you know, response to um, George Floyd and everything, everybody's been uh, really on board. You know, it, it, it was good to see LaFleur out front and make a statement the way he did in, in supporting um, uh, of all of this. Same with Aaron Rodgers, who's, you know, he's, I think from day one, he's always been uh, very supportive of, of Black Lives Matter and supportive of Colin Kaepernick and uh, what's trying, you know, what they're trying to do. So right. it was really good to see that. You know, and I've seen um, that the Packers have had meetings and their meetings were not all based on, you know, technique and football related stuff. It was, how can we as white linemen and black linemen, you know, we sit in the same locker room and those guys are closer. Like those guys, guys that sit in a professional locker room, especially football are, are together. Right. And they, they've sure. seen a lot of other, of the other side for lack of a better term, well, sure. but, but sitting down and talking about things is like we talked about before that that's important. You know, yeah. I, I can't remember which lineman it was. They, they said they sat down and Billy Turner, who I think still should be cut, even though he seems like an awesome dude. Yeah. <laughs> I still think he sucks at football, but I mean, like they had this great conversation about what it's like to be a black man in America, even a black man that's making $8 million a year. Yep. And that's powerful because I mean, people are smart enough to understand that if you're making $8 million a year and you are really above the fray to a certain extent and you still have concerns, imagine what the guy who's making $18,000 a year. I mean, the, the amount of fear is is tough right so they're having these conversations the Packers are having them they will be a more together locker room because of it right I I think that a lot of teams will do it but I mean I think it's great that the Packers are doing it I'm, I think it's great that LaFleur came out and Rodgers came out these are conversations that are so long overdue yes so long overdue and, and I mean it's 2020 for for God's sake right I mean this shit has been going on in sports since the evolution of sports it's been going on well before the evolution of sports right right and it's like now's the time to really have these conversations to try to put forward a new narrative of understanding um, what it's like to be black in in america or or anywhere in the world for that matter so right i mean in, in what's, what's hard for kids maybe not for us because we're old people but for kids to understand is like Jackie Robinson integrating baseball. And I can't, is it Marion Motley? I can't remember who integrated football, but there are people living right now today that were, are old enough to know an NFL where there were no black players in it. A, a major league baseball where there were no black players in it. In fact, interracial marriage is like, it was illegal. Right. Until like the 60s or some shit like that. Like, what in the fuck? <laughs> it was illegal to marry someone of a different race. And there are lots of people alive right. from then. 
I'm sorry. I, we, I went way off topic. We're, we're talking about the Packers. Sorry. Yeah. Talking about the Packers response. But I, I'm proud to be a Packer fan for many reasons. But I love the response from the Packers. They could have done whatever they wanted. And either way, they wouldn't have taken hits like we were just talking about. You still have 38,000 people on the season waiting list. They could have done whatever they wanted. But I feel like they're on the right side of history with this. I feel like they've done the right things. And I feel like if we start playing football, we, like you and I play, but if, if the NFL starts playing football in September again, I believe that the Packers will do something outwardly during games or prior to games or whatever it might be. I believe, I hope that will happen and I believe it will happen. Yeah, I think they're leading from the front. I mean, as far as like the whole NFL is concerned, I think there's some other teams that are falling in line too, but there's still some other you know organizations that, like you mentioned, who aren't um, publicly owned, right? Who just kind of have like this kind of white dictator owner. Yeah, it's old white guy. <laughs> some old white guy. Yeah. I mean, look look at look at the Redskins. I mean, I, I think I, I, we had this conversation briefly a couple of days ago, but I mean, if there was ever a time for them to, you know, over the years, they've been criticized for, for having this, this name Redskins step forward, be a leader during this time and, and fucking do it. And end the right? name Redskins. Right. Put an end to it. It's like calling your football team, the N words, right? right? Or the white crackers. Who? I mean, that doesn't take as bad of a connotation, <laughs> but it's, it's ridiculous, right? right. It's 2020. So, who is the owner there? What's Daniel Snyder is the yeah, owner. Daniel Snyder, Daniel Snyder is a fucking idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I like, mean, come on, man. Like, have, have you turned on the TV? Do you open your phone to Twitter or social, yeah. any social media and see what's going on? You can ride this wave successfully. It's, it's the right thing to do. But even if it, you know, you didn't feel like it was the right thing to do, it's the timely thing to do. Sure. I mean, it's probably just like too, you know, oh, the Redskins is, is our legacy brand. You know, it, it'd be too much to change it. it. There's a money fact. You don't understand all the parameters that are involved in making a, a change to our brand like that. Who fucking cares? Right. I mean, if like this is the launch pad of change right now, jump on board, dude. Yeah. I mean, get the fuck on it and do something about it. Change it. And by the way, you're in DC, dude. Okay. The There's a capital. large, there is a very large black community following of your team. They will all, they will all be super happy that you would do something like this. Right. It's right? a step in the right direction. That, that's how you get your community, right? Right. By treating the, the whole community like they're valued. Yeah. So you know what? I get it now. We're going to change this. We're going to lead from the front. Hopefully some other, you know, whether it's, you know, sports organizations or other organizations or whatever. But here we are. We are this NFL team. We're going to step forward and we are going to make that change. And there'll be other, other things will fall in line with that. Other things and people will change too. A hundred percent. And I'm glad the Packers are out front. They are. I'm, I'm, I'm very positive that they will stay out front. I think that the Packers get it for whatever reason, even though Green Bay, Wisconsin is the smallest, you know, yeah. most lily white demographic of all the it NFL is. towns, but they get it for whatever reason. I mean, if you go to a Packer game, it's going to be 95% white. Yep. But it doesn't matter to them. And I think that's great. I think that 
you know, it's long overdue for all of us to figure it out. Yeah. Well, that was a good discussion, man. Yeah. We didn't talk you a know. whole lot about football, but it feels good to talk about it for sure. Yeah. And just so everybody who's, who's listening out there knows, like, I mean, this was, uh, we had two other topics on today and, um, you know, if there's with, if there was ever an important topic to kind of run over and, and talk about, it's been today. So it, it was pretty refreshing to get it, get it out there and, and get the message out there and, and have this conversation. So yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, that was good. So we know what our topic is going to be next time because we didn't get yeah. to it today. Uh, we'll talk about impact players on offensive defense, the guys that we think will be, have the biggest impact 2020. We'll also talk about Jordy Nelson, who just retired for sure. And has basically came come out on social media and said he's not coming back because he's, you know, I'm sure Packer fans were like, hey, man, yeah, you don't right. have to really retire. Just pretend like Brett did and then come back to the Packers instead. Like do a complete right. 180 from Brett and come back and play with the Packers. Yeah. Don't go to the Vikings. Yeah, or the Jets or some other shitbag team. But that's what we'll talk about next time. I'm sure we'll have a couple other things to talk about. Thanks again to our sponsors, Third Eye Graphics, ddgcustoms.com. Uh, we love our shirts. I will put them on the kayak. I promise I will put the shirts on the kayak this week. <laughs> get them out here. And get them, get them to you in Hawaii. I did also see that if I started running from my house to your house, now granted, I would have to run across the water like Jesus, but, right. I, but if I could, it would take me only 65 days if I oh. ran at a five-mile-an-hour pace without any <laughs> food, water, or rest. Wow. And I could run across the, you know, ocean. Was that, was that Google Maps that did, I did that? I did Google it. <laughs> and I did wow. some calculator math. Wow. Yeah. It says it's a 12-hour flight, so I extrapolated. And that's what I came up with. Yeah, that was super unentertaining. I will probably edit that out later. Uh, but thanks again to everybody that's listening. We do appreciate you. If you have questions, hit us up with questions. Now, Mike, yeah, from, sure. Mike from Tosa, we love your comments. And Eric from Greendale, we also love your comments. We appreciate them very much. And if you're still listening at the end of this podcast, if you have questions about the Packers, we will be sure to answer them. We do love your smack talk, but we're not going to entertain it on the air. So we love you both. That's all I got. Yep. See you next week. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.